Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Uh, we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, technology, games, the internet, internet culture. Um, looking forward to our big show tonight. Um, Behind the desk, we have Mr. Dan Morganti. How are you, Dan? Yeah, not too bad. How are you, Warren? Doing well. Uh, have you had a, a good week in technology? Um, I played a lot of video games, so yes. Yes. <laughs> I'd say that's a yes. Um, also, Mr. Dan Salmon, how are you? I'm very well. I also had a good uh, week in technology, but I did not play video games. Oh, uh, well, they're not they're not mutually exclusive, I don't think, um, those two things. But um, we shall explore that uh, a little bit later, perhaps. Uh, I'm with you also. I'm Warren Davies. Uh, if you do feel you have a lot uh, on your plate and perhaps too many distractions uh, in your browser tabs and, and in your pocket, um, you are not alone. Uh, Un- Uncontained uh, is a new book looking at uh, the phenomena of digital distraction and author Professor Robert Hassan of uh, University of Melbourne uh, joins us in a few minutes to talk about this tonight. Um, are we too distracted? Are we trying to do too much stuff? And I don't know, are there some ways to, to uh, short circuit that? Uh, also, the Fringe Festival is on in Melbourne. Uh, if you have been uh, enjoying some of that, uh, you might have some capacity for some more. Um, and uh, comic Sam Hargraves uh, is joining us in the show uh, a little bit later to talk about um, his show, Billy vs. the Internet, um, which is on uh, as part of the festival. But before that stuff happens, um, there is a bit of news out there that we want to uh, draw to your attention. Um, Mr. Morganti, uh, Facebook has been addressing um, some findings from ACCC, is that right, about about their business? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they've taken aim at the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission over the watchdog's recommendations to privacy law changes and for wrongly cl- conflating Facebook and Google. At least that's the major concern of the $530 billion company. <laughs> Um, the competi- uh, it's, it's not us, it's, it's them? Yeah, um, okay. ba- um, basically that's their... Or it's more just they, they want... Uh, the definitions realise that they're two different companies with different business structures and cultures. Um, it doesn't really say why the um, these recommendations uh, affect Facebook or why that is really an issue for Facebook, but uh, the competition regulator made 23 recommendations, about half of which Facebook agreed with, uh, such as greater oversight into business acquisitions and changes to digital privacy rules and ways in which platforms deal with media organisations. Um, but this also comes after the ACCC chairman, Rod Sims, took aim at the tech giants last week for taking little responsibility for uh, the content on their platforms and the spread of fake news and how these companies don't really uh, seem to really be interested in um, stemming the tide, or they, you know, they pay lip service to it at least. Um, and Zuckerberg's main criticism is that they'd really want globally consistent rules, more in line with um, the EU's general data protection regulations, which um, he says that the ACCC's recommendations really offer um, uh, more, they're more confusing and more Mm. uh, convoluted than uh, the EU's. But yeah, really just wants uh, globally recognized standards. Yeah, can't we just fix it once? Yeah, basically. I think that's a fair call. If I was trying to do something about it, I'm, I'm not suggesting they are, but if, if I was tasked with that, you'd want to kind of um, 
be given a clear roadmap for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, I mean, the 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 benefit to that is we have a more realistic chance of, of seeing the changes that um, that are most important. Absolutely. Um, so that's interesting. I, I mean, it's good that they've supported half of the recommendations as well. Um, and with global consistency, everyone's on the same playing field, although there could be problems culturally with things like that, but it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a constant it's a constant thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, sort of local local legal responses to to global platforms. Mm. What, what do you reckon, Dan? Do you kind of feel like they've um, given the kind of past couple of years that they've had, they're responding with sort of adequate concern and um, sort of preparation? Oh, look, I, I think there's always room for improvement. It's it's one of those things where I mean, it's just I don't I don't know. If Facebook have just been allowed to kind of go out. And do whatever they like with very little regulation for so long that it's going to take a long time to kind of rein things in. But it is, a, it's, a, I suppose, a step in the right direction. But it's, a, a, it's a starting point rather than anything else. I think. Speaking about steps in a certain direction, uh, NBN, um, what's what's going on there? Well, I feel like this. Is, I mean, it's it's. I love your segues, Warren. Um, it's it's a um, a sideways step, I reckon, more than more than a, a forward or backward step. So um, the. Federal government has basically told NBN Co. or told you know the gov or the people that they're expecting uh, the entry level uh, 12 megabit per second broadband service on the NBN to be uh, around about a $60 a month uh, plan for I think it's unlimited downloads. Now that's um, you know an interesting step that the government's taken to kind of you know recommend a price generally retailers have been allowed to do whatever they want and you know through market forces generally their offerings are about the same but it it it's an interesting uh thing because the 12 megabit per second uh option i don't i don't know if you guys have nbn in your house for those who don't know I'm getting it on NBN saturday works. oh uh, mate yeah. exciting any, <laughs> a few well, games will be played. Uh, yeah, yeah just a, just a few. Yeah. But so um, on on your standard NBN offerings, you've got a, a tw- uh, different speeds at different prices with different um, kind of uh, downloads uh, limits. But the entry level is twelve megabit megabits per second. Uh, there was a twenty five megabit per second that was ta- that was kind of generally taken away, but it's being slightly reintroduced. And then you've got your hundred megabits for people who are really kind of you know want to basically spend a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but the tw- I hope I'm not confusing people here, but the 12 megabit per second option has um, historically there's been a, a charge that retailers are ta- it's kind of taxed for for selling the 12 megabit per second second option, which means that they have been trying to not strong arm but generally kind of encourage users to go up a step. Uh, the federal government is uh, removing this fee. So it, um, retailers aren't going to be penalised for offering a twelve or selling a twelve megabit per second price. Um, it's it, it, it's interesting. I, I think the NBN is still very much kind of a, a watch this space. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but they just haven't managed to kind of work out their pricing structures right. And obviously, the various technologies that are on offer uh, are widely disparate depending on where you are and who you are. So uh, it's it's good to see that they're at least making overtures to, uh, I suppose, cheaper options. But I still think $60 a month is a lot of money for uh, you know a basic internet connection. And yeah. for, for those who are going to be forced onto the NBN after having connected to their house, that's going to be the only option they have at some point. Yeah. 
it's it's pretty confusing. Mm. Um, well, confounding, I'll say. I, I think it should be um, cheaper and cheaper and faster. Absolutely, is my yeah. personal point of view. Um, another thing that um, is a, a little bit confusing and uh, disappointing um, for followers of the uh, free software um, and uh, open source movement, um, they would have been disappointed to see uh, noted uh, computer sci- scientist uh, Richard Stallman um, uh, make some, uh, I guess, uh, very disappointing comments and then digging his heels on an issue relating to uh, uh, child trafficker uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Um uh, he has been uh, encouraged to resign from MIT, um, according to an email he published uh, online this week. Resignation comes after Stormin made comments about um, victims of child trafficker uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, including that the victims uh, went along uh, with the abuse willingly. Um, so rather than rather than uh, I guess um, stepping down and, and kind of um, not. Uh, um, uh, furthering the conversation, um, he decided to, uh, I guess, um, discuss the um, the definitions and um, uh, I guess dispute the call, um, which is um, almost as bad as as the initial statements in the first place. Um, yeah, Motherboard did publish the full email thread, um, so if you want to, uh, I don't know, if you want to have a bit of a read of that, we'll tweet it out. But um, yeah, disappointing um, for someone who's done a, a lot of work in the free software community to kind of, um, uh, I guess, um, die on that hill, as uh, Laura Summers pointed out in the show notes. Mm. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll share that. It's um, um, yeah, it, it is kind of worth a, a quick glance over. Um, Another thing that's um, been really interesting this week is uh, Amazon uh, uh, crowdsourcing um, some of their Alexa stuff. What's what's going on there, Dan? Yeah, so they've basically taken a page out of Wikipedia's books and now um, uh, Alexa is allowing anyone to provide their own answers to questions. That's um, crazy talk. It is. Oh. Um, the process is relatively simple. Anyone can go to Alexa Answers uh, where questions are frequently posted um, for the smart assistant um, and it needs to be in fewer than 300 characters um, the answers uh, which do not require a citation uh, are used by Alexa's algorithms and then they're rated by star systems uh, by people who um, use the answer and then say did it answer your question um, they're also prompt with the audio prompt did that answer your question Right. Um, this is a really confusing move to a lot of people such as uh, Ginger Gorman who has written a book Troll Hunting Uh, she says they're playing with fire Um, because I'm not sure if you remember the early days of Wikipedia but there was a lot of trolling a lot of uh, editing uh, on the fly of people who just wanted to fill in um, whatever they felt like there was a lot of um, racism sexism homophobia just posted willy nilly Mm. on Wikipedia and Wikipedia has evolved and now employs a large staff or at least a staff that that monitors um wikipedia's entries and data and that that doesn't stop people from going on to lesser known lesser kind of you know high profile wikis and changing things it's like i i I put myself as a member of um the cast of ship to shore and that was on (laughs) wikipedia up until a couple of months ago i think that's one of the funniest things i've ever heard yeah (laughs) but uh, it's like so what what i find interesting about this apart from you know the creepy uh, allowing people to troll alexa is that you're speaking to Alexa and then you're getting a 
computer voice speaking back to you with actual people's opinions and answers. Yeah. What would be interesting is if you were allowed to record your voice answering a question, it goes into the Alexa database and then you actually get your answer to an Alexa question from someone else's voice. Yeah, that'd be... Uh, yeah, um, and I would take... Well, an- anonymity would still be there, but at least your understanding that the question is coming from a human being and not just generated by... Or um, at least... Um, Amazon isn't screening these. You'd understand that Amazon is not screening these answers. Yeah, um, I'm sure that's a, you know all kinds of minefield that I haven't really considered in yeah. putting that idea out there. But I kind of like the idea. Yeah, it's a, they may as well just link it to Urban Dictionary and get their answers from there for all the um, randomness that can be added uh, willy nilly. This is true. Mm. Speaking of things being done willy nilly, there's something around back taxes in Ireland. Oh, What's going on here? It's, it's, it's an evening of confusing stories tonight. Um, so the European Union, the um, or the uh, second highest court in the European Union, is currently hearing a, a, a case. I don't know if you guys remember, but about three years ago, um, Apple got uh, in trouble with the European Commission for uh, not paying their taxes. Uh, now, Apple's European headquarters is in Ireland, and Ireland is famously known for being a pretty light touch when it comes to international taxes it's why ireland uh, was such you know a magnet for you know these kind of tech companies as as their european bases you know we heard of the celtic tiger basically the irish economy was held up in the early 2000s by tech companies and um now the eu has uh been t- oh the the court in the EU has ordered Apple to pay uh, 13 billion euros, which is 21 bi- billion US dollars, uh, in back taxes that the EU says it owes to Ireland. Now the interesting thing here is that Ireland is actually on. Apple's side. Ireland uh, enjoy the fact that companies want to invest in them and Ireland don't want to be seen as being a high-taxing economy. And so Ireland and uh, Apple are actually fighting the European Commission. So it's an, it's a, it's an interesting kind of, um, I suppose, dynamic, particularly when, you know, mm. Ireland is obviously part of the EU, uh, at least for the next little bit. And um, I suppose it's still very much a watch this space. There's another, there's a higher court in the EU that uh, Apple and uh, Ireland can take the European mm. Commission to. So I think it's this, it could probably going to be another be a, three years. This could be a major win for Ireland because if they get those taxes, they still appear to have been like, oh, look, Google, we were on your side the entire time. But yeah, we're sorry we have to take this $13 billion off you, but here's you know, fr- we're still friendly. Here's, know, my, to- here's my friend, they're a lawyer. Yeah. They'll, they'll, help, <laughs> yeah. they'll, they'll help you out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Ireland is smarter than we thought they were. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> this is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. You're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R on a Wednesday night with Dan Warren and Dan. Uh, we're now joined in studio by uh, Professor Robert Hassan, um, who's uh, written a great book, um, Uncontained, Digital Disconnection and the Experience of Time. Um, there's a great little summary here, which I, I think I will read out. Um, look around at uh, any tram or train and nearly everybody will be staring at the little screens in their hands. In this meditative study, uh, Robert examines the proposition that we're captives of technology, leaving us, as T.S. Eliot wrote, distracted from distraction by distraction. Uh, Robert, thanks for coming in tonight. Thank you very much, Juan. And Dan, and Dan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, how did you um, how did you realise that you're being distracted, and, and what did you do about it? Um, 
coming here tonight uh, from my office in Carlton or, or, or Parkville, I walking past sea of students like I do every night and um, like every night I see a sea of students looking at their telephones or their smartphones and um, it's sometimes quite amusing to see someone who's so concentrated on what he or she's doing that they trip up and um, and trip <laughs> over a paving stone and stumble and then um, I enjoy that moment and that happened tonight and um, <laughs> I, I saw this person just walking past the gym and um, not not concentrating on where he was going and just tripping and um and that's we, we don't see ourselves anymore because we're so um distracted by these these smartphones and it's mainly the smartphone that's taken over and they have us by the throat i think in a way that we sort of don't recognize uh, you know I, i'm of an age i i sort of remember the internet in its first iteration I used to stack shelves in the, the library in Glasgow University when I was doing my PhD, and um, um, one day we got the internet, and I'd heard about the internet, I had heard all the stuff in the newspapers and um, saying how it's going to change the world, which it did, um, but when someone said, you can use it on that, that terminal, we used to call them terminals then because it didn't go anywhere, but it was no longer a terminal, it was it was interactive, so you could go into this um, search engine and um, and find things and um, I remember just typing in, I can't remember what it was, but I was very unimpressed and, um, uh, and uh, uh, you know, so I didn't think about it much later than that. And um, But then, you, you know, there's no way of, of avoiding it after a while and there's no way of avoiding it now. I'm as immersed as anyone else, but um, I've been thinking recently about how um, it's captured all of us. It's colonised our, our headspace, it's colonised our, our time and um, I decided to sort of think about it in a different way and try do some experiments about detox or around the idea of detox and um, and, and see what it did uh, to my head and to my 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 way of thinking. And uh, it was a five week experiment, and um, the book is the the, the product of that. Mm. Digital detox is something that I'm very passionate about personally. I, I speak about it a lot, despite being on a tech show, and it's something that can manifest itself in a number of ways and you know people have different interpretations of what a digital detox kind of uh entails like how far do you need to go in order to disconnect yourself um you know if you're checking how often what what do you find do you have a metric for it or is it literally just kind of a cut and run cold turkey kind of thing or are there grades to it well when i went on my voyage on the ship um which is the, the subject of the book i it was cold turkey um there was um French sailors who didn't speak English, and there was myself um, who don't who doesn't speak French, and um, um, no computers, no um, communications of any kind, and so I was just left thrown onto my own devices, and then um, went cold turkey. But um, we all can't do that. Um, I think what we can do, and there's there's lots of. I think it's personal. You think about first of all, you have to identify the problem. It's almost like a sort of a form. Of, well, it is a form of addiction. The dopamine loop has us all by again. Um, has our consciousness and that's thinking about that and thinking about why we wake up in the morning the first thing we do is grab the smartphone um what does that mean and then why do we do it and if you think it's a problem um, then think of ways of sort of um curating your digital life and it's cutting back essentially and that's not easy to do because um everything that's engineered into laptops and phones are to attract you and distract you and um and keep you holding and keep you scrolling and keep you um, going from hyperlink to hyperlink. So it's, it's, it's recognising the problem first of all and thinking um, what it might be like to have a different reality for at least part of your life. 
Has it done other things to our time though? Like thinking back to the time when you were packing shelves and on that day you might have like read the paper, listened to some records or cassettes or you know done some other things and you might have had sort of four or five or six kind of like meaningful media experiences. Um, potentially today you can have 4,000 or 5,000 or you know if you just kind of let it slide and mm. we're not proactive about mm. what you were consuming. Um What's the what's the what's the upside to the distraction? Are we um, is the potential to be more productive, more involved, more engaged? Um, well, I think terms like productive and, and, and efficient and engaged, I always have um, scare quotes around them because I, I don't think they mean much at all. Productive is productive for the boss. Um, efficiency is for efficiency for the organisation. Um, we can pack so much into the hour now, which is um, something we've never been able to do before to the extent mm. that we do now. Um, time then speeds up. The experience of time speeds up. Mm. We, um, the hour just flies and um, because we're so engaged in the moment. And that being engaged in the moment, um, before we know what we're doing, we're living in a present constantly. And that, that constant living in a present um, has a, 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 sort of a downside. It's a zero-sum game. You um, have less time to reflect. And after a while, you forget what reflection is. So you outsource your memory to the mm. phone. Um, you outsource um, your connections, your 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 sense of um, being with other people to 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 networks too, to to the mm. to the text or to the, the FaceTime or, or to the odd time where you get together um, face to face. And um, that living in the present might seem exciting and 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 um, and, and adrenaline filling for many people, but we, we lose the capacity to reflect. Mm. I mean, you can create rules for yourself. You can say, I'm, I'm open to distraction between those hours and um, on my lunch break I might dip into the other, you know, I'm this person and that person and that person and I'll, I'll do that. But I, I agree it is a constant fight. Like all the systems are designed to sort of be at the top of your attention and what have you. Mm. Sorry, Dan, what are you uh, Is there a tipping point between uh, between when... Um, you're getting the most value for your smartphone and when it starts to become a problem, what's what's that look like when you're spending too much time using your device as opposed to using it correctly and getting you know value for your time and um, your attention? I don't know if there's any, any one way of using it correctly. I think, again, it's subjective and you think about your own, your own um, situation and what you want to get and what you want to be and what you want to do. For me, um, I use the phone. Um, I hardly ever call anyone. No one ever calls me. I use it for podcasts. I think the podcasting... Call in now if you'd like to have a phone conversation with uh, Robert. <laughs> he hasn't had that call for a while. <laughs> the, the podcast um, phenomenon is, is fantastic. And if you curate um, your interests through podcasting, it's, it's, it's so fulfilling. It's so um, um, worthwhile in so many ways. But that's only an aspect of, of online digital life. The, the, much of it is, is, is distraction. Much of it is commercialised. Much of it is um, about um, latent or active commodification. And um, that, that's what I think we don't recognise enough. And that's what the problem is. So it's, it's recognising it in yourself that you, you want to think of something. You, want to, you don't want to be controlled by this thing. And um, if you have that realisation, then you, that's the first step. Then you think about how can I make it work for me rather than me working for um, the device. And, 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 and beyond that, um, the tech companies and beyond that, capitalism itself. Because then you just become um, a node. You just become a, a data. You just become um, a user and you just become um, used. 
Robert, going back to your time on the container ship mm. with the French crew, you know, the, these devices that we're all kind of looking at right now, um, they're used primarily for communication with people a, a lot of the time, whether that's, you know, t- on social media or reading something someone's written or just talking to, you know, messaging other people. You took that particular aspect away and then you went and sat on a ship with people who didn't speak the language that you speak and who did not speak your language. So you were all, like you already were removing a communication uh, tool, but then also throwing yourself into a situation whereby communication is already going to be very difficult. Mm. Was that a doubly challenging, do you think? Do you need that kind of interaction or were you able to kind of work around it? That was part of the, the, what I wanted to sort of see as a proof of concept. What happened when I, I, I couldn't speak to you know, my fellows around me and, um, and, and couldn't communicate through, through technology? Um, I was on my own. It was, I had a cabin, which was a, a big um, double-bedded sort of cabin at the very top of the container ship. Um, and um, I was just given a key and, and left. And, um, and I was told that there's, there's breakfast at 7, lunch at 1, and dinner at 7. And I had to, you know, they told me where the mess was and they left me alone. And there was no other passengers, just me, um, for five weeks. And um, I thought, okay, this this could be terrible or it could be so, sort of interesting. And th- then I, I was just thrown back onto my own devices, my own thinking, my own memory, and, um, and began to take notes, began to look around me, began to notice things in the physical world, which we sort of often sort of... Um, missed because we're looking at glass screens all the time and um, and that was um, revealing as well just a ship which is just an industrial sort of vessel but that had so many interesting aspects to it and um, the bed, um, the table um, the shower, the windows uh, I, I, I a whole um, paragraph, not paragraph a whole um, half a <coughs> chapter on four days I spent um, dismantling an office chair and putting it back together again because um, it just gave me something to do and um, I, I quality time I wanted that. Ch- quality time and it, it was <laughs> it was um, it was a fantastic experience and you didn't even have YouTube to show you how to do it no um, I was very careful but there was hundreds of pieces to take part, apart with a, an Allen key and a screwdriver and uh, it worked and I put it back together again oh that's incredible <laughs> <laughs> but three days it took me I'm interested how this um uh, this lack of awareness. Um, uh, there's a, um, a bit from the expert here. Uh, one consequence is what uh, Paul uh, really uh, writing about computers and the speeding up of life called a fundamental loss of orientation um, and a lack of spatial awareness. So what does that look for, for most people like in their day-to-day lives if they're out there going, yeah, I'm, I, kind of, I kind of feel that? How does it manifest? And um, I mean, one of the reasons I ask is it's kind of like the slow-boiling frog. You know, mm. you kind of, you don't even know that's happening. Yeah. Well, that lack of spatial awareness I saw tonight, as I, I explained to the student, just tripping up because he was looking at his smartphone, literally a lack of spatial awareness. But it's, it's wider than that. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a lack of um, um, knowing um, to the degree which is sort of, um, can feed into change about the world around you. We're, we're bombarded with information, but we sort of skate along the surface of that information and, um, and we, we, we um, draw upon aspects of it so we saw we know um, a little about a lot instead of a, a lot about um, narrower sort of selection of things and um, that's distraction that's that's um, um, living a life of being as I often think about it like the um, the ball in the ping pong machine just knocked from from part to part and um, and and not, not in control of 
where you are, where you're going, what you want to do, or what you want to be, because it's it's, it's in a sense um, laid out for you, and and with not much choice for you to make. We go through, or we are under um, the auspices, if you like, of, of of a huge global experiment, and no mm. one knows what the object of that experiment is, other than commodification. But no one really knows what it's leading to, and um, that takes deep thinking. And I'm not saying I'm a deep thinker, but um, I, I try to sort of keep the um, the depths of reflection that I do have to think about this in ways that um, problematize it and critique it, and um, and that's what the writing is about as well. I would have loved to um, bumped into you at a bar and explained stumble upon or dig um, about seven or eight years ago, where it's like, we're just gonna randomly stumble upon stuff, um, and we've made that process really efficient. What, what, what would your recommendation be to people who are kind of um, finding this rings true for them what would be a couple of steps that people could take to, to get an immediate kind of um, benefit out of what you've observed think about your, your day with um, media and, and um, think about if you enjoy it and uh, think about if you enjoy it fully and, and deeply and um, in an exhilarating way if that's the case that's fine but if you find it's dissatisfying, if you find it's exhausting, if you find that you um, are, are sitting in the, the blue um, light of a, a smartphone at half past 12 at night when you should be asleep, um, and you can't sleep because um, you, you want to scroll something else or, or something else has attracted your attention, then you might want to think about, um, might it be better me sleeping? Um, and not having this thing next to the bed. And, and then think about ways um, that you might want to curate your life. And curation is fun because it's control. and um, and if you're a control, that means um, the, 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 the device isn't. And um, so it's, it's, it's about self-respect as well, rather than not being um, a victim um, of, of, of big tech, um, push back. And um, we can't uninvent it. We have to be part of it. But um, we, I think, in terms of our own self-respect and um, political sort of um, needs, have to sort of be in control. I totally agree. Robert, I've... As someone who remembers what it was like before technology and you know devices and all of that, and going digital, through, not digital. technology, not, <laughs> not technology. <laughs> before our definition of technology. Mm. Um, so yeah, before digital, and who experienced it that way. Do you think that if there was someone who has no memory of life before a smartphone did what you did, do you think that their reaction would be different, or would they? I mean, have you given that some thought? I teach um, students. Um, New, first year students um, every year a first year course of 19, 20, 21 and um, when you ask them um, who wakes up in the morning and first thing they do is grab the smartphone they all put their hands up and um, but then you, you say do you think what do you think about that and they, they look at you um, what do you mean what do you think about that that's just what everyone does and it's so natural um, um, it's just part of what they do people call them digital natives but um and, and it sort of implies a sort of um, a savviness with technology and a, a familiarity with gadgets. But um, there's been research done recently which shows um, that most young kids actually don't know much other than to use Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you give them a sort of a, a digital sort of um, task, which is sort of um, a, a bit more difficult, they're lost. Um, so they, they're growing to these things and don't know much about them. They're naive instead of being, um, I think... Digital uh, captives. Digital captives, yes, mm. and um, and they don't know what they're doing. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sort of preach and or sound preachy, but um, it's um, I don't think there's other any other way to think about it. That, that they're born into it, and um, that that's become the life. And pointing out to them that there's other ways of thinking about this smartphone or this laptop, 
um, and other ways of thinking about what it does. And takes a bit of work. And um, those who come to media and communications as a, as a, as a study option um, are usually quite quick to sort of pick up. And, um, and then we can have conversations and we can sort of develop from there. But um, the, the wider population um, who don't necessarily think about it too much, um, it's, I worry about. If you're interested in uh, picking up on this, um, the book from Grattan Street Press is uh, Uncontained, Digital Disconnection and the Experience of Time. And uh, we've been joined by the author, uh, Robert Hassan. Thanks for coming in. Thank you all very much. Triple. to bite into it on Triple R with Dan Dan and Warren and we're now joined on air by uh, Sam Hargraves who uh, is appearing at the Melbourne Fringe Festival which is on at the moment Um, he's got a new show Billy vs the Internet Uh, Sam thanks for joining us tonight no no problem thank you Um, who is Billy are you Billy Uh, is Billy somebody else Um, why is he taking on the internet and um, why would he be so silly uh, so, what Billy actually wants in this play is to be the next big online sensation. He's not uh, very popular in his uh, social circles, so he thinks that um, uh, a bit of celebrity status will give him some, I guess, credibility. Um, so, what happens in the play is, after receiving a copyright takedown notice from the Wiggles, he experiments with uh, ver- various different genres of video um, in order to uh, basically try and become the next viral sensation, essentially. It is probably a full-time job um, going viral. Um, have, have, have you had any kind of personal experience with that or, or seeing other people experience it um, at all? Uh, <clears throat> not really. Hmm. Um, I think this is more... Yeah, this isn't based on any personal experience, no. Mm, mm. Um, and what's the kind of like, uh, I guess, story arc for Billy? Does it kind of um, go smoothly or um, I'm even interested in the choice of, um, of YouTube um, as, a, as a kind of vehicle for stardom? Uh, well, it's, it goes anything but uh, smoothly for him. Um, YouTube to him feels like the obvious choice because uh, it's about making videos. He believes himself to be this serious artist, um, even though his videos aren't uh, great quality necessarily. But um, you know, it's uh, it's it's about a guy having a very having a very serious go at what he loves. And. Uh, you, you said that you didn't draw any personal inspiration from it. Have you? Did you look? At, what, what examples were you looking around to see the kind of, I suppose, content that does go viral? Like, were, were you were you looking for anything in particular, or you like did did you have an idea where you wanted to take it? Uh, so I, I, I looked at things like um, you know, there's m- music videos, there's uh, product reviews. Like, there's a sketch in there where he tries to review his video camera. Um, I won't spoil the gag for that one, but, um, and, uh, yeah, he, uh, trying to think what else does he do. There, there is a resolution at the end. Um, and so it is, but it's pretty much a rags to riches story for him. So, Um, sorry, you mentioned, uh, the YouTube copyright strike. Um, how much of these, um, like technological, uh, hurdles 
have you incorporated into the show that um, you know where we um, these are relatively new things YouTube copyright strike so what what kind of uh, digital obstacles does he um, come up against uh, technological hurdles are, are a pretty heavy recurring um, obstacle for him um, it's like he has issues getting his equipment to work um, he uh, that 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 yeah, that's a fairly uh, recurring one throughout the show um, and do you um, – I'd be interested to hear about your own kind of like personal experience for kind of like um, content creation and have you played with this stuff uh, much yourself? Um, I, I would consider myself a bit of a tinkerer with like any kind of platform that comes up and I will have a go and I do have um, many secret, secret channels and kind of like hidden playlists of like awful stuff that I've made. Have you ever kind of like sort of came a cropper yourself and just kind of gone, oh, my God, that was absolutely awful. I'm going to stick with comedy and that's kind of my happy place. Uh, I have put stuff on YouTube before. It's um, not been regularly watched necessarily, but um, uh, often um, for the convenience of sharing with friends, I've made videos and put them on YouTube. I feel like the best the best video I still have um, and have published was somebody quitting their job in spectacular style. Um, I have that on video, um, and every now and again, when I want to laugh, um, you took about fifteen or twenty minutes to do it, and you've never seen a person burn so many bridges in such a short <laughs> space of time. Um, um, have you learned anything um, to help yourself with these um, platforms by doing this play? Have you learned uh, ways to avoid any of these pitfalls? Uh, n not really. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say that um, this show's been a learning experience for, for me on any kind of technological sense. Um, certainly, in terms of navigating the Melbourne independent theatre world, it's been a learning experience. But um, yeah, in terms of tech, in, in terms of uh, technology, it's just um, uh, highlighting all the different things that can go wrong with it. Interesting. Um, and for, I guess, um, people interested in, in technology and uh, internet culture generally, um, do you feel like there's much on at the Fringe Festival or is it um, uh, obviously people want to get out and catch your show, but is there anything else that you've noted that listeners might be into? Uh, I'm not too sure. I haven't really looked that thoroughly at it, to be honest. There's mm. um, there's quite a lot on at the Fringe this year. Mm. Great. It looks um, it looks cool. I definitely uh, want to see Billy uh, get ahead of the Wiggles, but even if it doesn't go too well, um, I think that would still be okay. But um, Yeah, sure. Thank you. Looking forward to it. And, um, yeah, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Um, we'll, we'll come down and check it out. Yep, sure. Thank you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. 
thank you very much to our guests for uh, being on the show tonight. Uh, thank you to uh, Dr. Robert Hassan um, and the interesting book that we could have um, spoken about for quite a bit, uh, Uncontained, uh, Digital Disconnection and the Experience of Time. Um, I am interested in getting uh, more into um, that one. Uh, also, thank you to uh, Sam Hargraves. Um, his show, Billy versus the Internet, is uh, on at the moment. Go down and check that out. Um, we've been bought into it. Uh- Triple R. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.